channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people, smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on this show, folks, we're going to talk about the eight myths of capitalism. So welcome, Ed. Hey, Ron. How are you doing? I am great. After that week at SAGE Summit, I'm kind of uh, still recuperating. Oh man, don't I know it? And you know, it's. I think this is. A, it's been a while since you and I have just done a show together, just you and me, because we've had a number of interviews. We had the week that I was not able to be on, and I. I so it's, I think it's been almost a, more than a month. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. So I have to ask you, how'd Sean's baseball game go? Oh well. You know, it was a it was a week long tournament, and uh, they did not do well. But I will say that the one game that I attended, well, actually, I attended a couple of games, but uh, after the uh, played on the weekend. But the game that I I attended to to miss the show for, they did win. So, oh, it was good. T- time well spent. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I called to the tournament, and then I was wondering, is that what it's called? I, I wasn't sure, but. Yeah. They do call yeah, them a tournament. Is. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. This is a – for those interested, the AAYBA. Don't ask me what that initialization is for, but it's a, it's a, it's kind of a big deal, and there, there are three of them here in North Texas every year. But I got to tell you, it was hot. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> uh, but anyway – so, Ed, what were your, real quickly, what were your impressions of uh, Sage Summit? Because, man, there was some great headliners there. There was Richard Branson and Ashley Gosh, Kutcher yeah. And- uh, you know, and, and, and his, his personality came through. You know, his, his mantra is, screw it, just, let's just do it. Yep. Which I thought was fantastic. He says, he says it makes for an interesting life. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. He did. He did tell the story of how he how he started Virgin Atlantic, which was pretty interesting. In that he was he got bumped off a flight one time, and being Richard Branson, because you can do this, he he bought himself a plane like on the spot. And yes, then, I remember reading that. And then held up a sign, you know, flights to, and I forget where he was going, flights to wherever, thirty bucks. He's lucky he didn't post it on Facebook yet, or he would have got shut down by the FAA. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, yeah, probably, probably, <laughs> but very interesting, interesting guy, and 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 you know, I, I think doing a, a lot to 
advance the idea that entrepreneur is innovator and creativity comes as a surprise to us and all of the things that we espouse on the show. So I would, would love to have him someday as a guest. I think he'd be he'd wonderful. Right. I, I remember. Do you remember when he traveled around the world and balloons? I think he tried it a couple times. Yes. Do, do you remember uh-huh. those stunts? Somebody wrote mm-hmm. in one of the uh, Virgin Atlantic airplane, you know, they have a log there where you know, customers can register or sign, you know, like the guest sign-in book or whatever. And somebody somebody had a really bad experience on this flight for whatever reason. I don't remember. And she wrote, now I know why your owner travels in a balloon. he he did say and this is this is a little crass but i thought this was a great line he said yeah when we when we because all of the businesses that he owned are virgin something right it was virgin records or virgin record stores or mega stores or whatever was started started out right yep right right and then well and then when they 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 did criticize the virgin airlines because they didn't want to be known as the airline that didn't go all the way right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so he really does have a great story of how he started i mean it was literally like in his mom's basement or something and you know selling oh, magazines yeah. or something it's really a it's really an inspiring story it is it is and and then also you know who's really interesting i thought of all of the other guests that that, that i did get a chance to see uh, just because i think he's was a was a, a brilliant guy was ashton kushner believe it or not yeah, no, I, every time I hear him speak, he says something really profound. Yeah, so I think I, he, he really, he gets it despite the, you know, the characters that he plays as being a little daft, yep. but, uh, but he, he definitely, he definitely gets it. And, um, you know, he, he was t- talking about, you know, social media and, and he was really, I think probably the, f- one of the first celebrities to really embrace that the whole notion of Twitter and all that he although he says he has cut back on it significantly so interesting what do you think of the shark tank guys you know i i I, for all of the stuff that we do on entrepreneurs i have not been a big watcher of shark tank or as it's known in canada dragon's den and i it's weird because i had a chance to to meet and interact with one of the guys up there um and you know I don't know. I, I think that they, they were good. I, you, you asked me a question now. They, they, they were good. They had a lot of interesting things to say. Jennifer Warwood did a great post on it, and we should probably post that in the show notes. I, I, I tend to think that – I don't know. I think, I think my, my prejudice against reality TV overcomes the good that they have to talk about. Right. I, you know, I hear it's all staged. I mean, it's all you know, yeah. like most reality TV, and I don't know how far to, to believe that. But yeah, uh, yeah, and I, and that's that's my trouble with it is that clearly there's times when it's just editing. Yeah, and you know, it just, but we've talked about that too. It's like we both both really used to like Pawn Stars, but the you know the first two or three seasons, but then after that they started to to force these dramatic. You know conflicts in, especially inside the store. I was like, okay, please, really? I mean, yeah. can we just yeah. can we just go back to just being pawn stars? That was good stuff. Right, right. Go back to the interesting stuff that walks in the door. You know, right, right. <clears throat> yeah, I hear you. I, I I can't watch Shark Tank. I've tried. I can't watch it. It bores me to tears. I I and I love entrepreneurship. I love business, and 
I just can't do it because I just there's something just inauthentic about it. Yeah, and you know it, the only time, and this is going to be weird, but the only time that I really connect with it is if I happen to be channel surfing and fall into it in the middle when somebody is talking about their their thing, and I'm like, huh, that's pretty cool, right? Because some I, of the I, ideas that, are cool. Yeah, right. And I like the idea, but they, but then you know when they get that, get, then they get down into the making the offers and all of that stuff and the drama and all, I, I'm just that's when I'm done. Yeah, I'm in. I'm out. Yeah, I mean, come yeah, on. Whatever. <laughs> Good for you. Well, it was a great summit. I mean, we we got to do yes. a presentation together that was a blast. The, what did we talk about? The invisible hand, a new take on, or the invisible handshake, a new Shake. take on uh, corporate social responsibility. That was that was great fun. And I watched a couple of your presentations because um, you did quite a few. Our colleague Dan Morris did one on cryptocurrency and something else. I yes, and then he he did one on on success leaves clues, which was very very well received. Yeah, because he is he's just a very interesting observer of 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 businesses. So yeah, he's kind of he kind of swims in his own shark tank. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Working with a lot of startups and entrepreneurs around the world, it's it's always fascinating to talk to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I have to say the highlight the highlight though was the dinner with you and Dan and and Daniel Suskind. That was a great dinner. Uh, agreed. I mean, it was so fun to watch Daniel's uh presentation and then be on that panel afterwards with what was it six or seven people that you facilitated and that was uh that was quite something. That was a great discussion, I think. Really yes. for people that weren't familiar with his book, I think it really got people thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm very, very excited and very, very excited to continue that down that line of thought. And for, hey, those of you just don't, who don't know, Ron and I are doing a two-day workshop based on the future of the professions, and that is on our webpage, which is on, on the, the soulofenterprise.com under the live events. It is the thing that is taking place in the Niagara Falls, and you're all invited. Let us know. We'd, we'd love to have you. So if anybody is interested, it doesn't matter if you're a sage partner, not a sage partner, uh, wh- whoever is interested in working through the concept of the future of the professions, we would love to have you. Yeah, we strongly recommend you read the book. And uh, Ed will post that link on the show notes. But, you know, it's funny, like you say, going to dinner with Daniel afterwards and just having the chance to sit down and talk to this, you know, economist with this brilliant mind. Uh, and we talked about a range of topics, Brexit, and he wants to write a future of uh, labor, kind of like Thomas Piketty's, you know, the, the 20th first century of capital. He wants mm-hmm. to do the 21st century of labor. So I, yeah. I think you're going to see him kind of morph into a labor economist specialty. And he's quite pessimistic about the future of jobs and labor because of AI and all these different technologies. And I found that fascinating that he would be on the pessimistic side. Most economists are rather optimistic, you know, people, but he was, he's rather pessimistic about it. And I just found that fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and that leads to a whole bunch of things that we've talked about in the past is, you know, the idea of, does that lead to universal basic income? Because really, I, I don't know, I say it this way, there's two possible futures, right? There's the future in which, New and different jobs are created as a result of all of these technologies, jobs that we can't 
fathom, just like you couldn't fathom in the 1980s, you couldn't fathom the idea of, of a web, what a web developer was. Sure. Right? <clears throat> or a podcaster, for that matter, just being a little self-deprecating. And we couldn't, couldn't possibly imagine that, right? Uh, so that's one future. The other future is so, – so in which case, everything's okay because jobs are created, Right. The other future is, is okay, well, yes, f- there are fewer and fewer th- things for humans to do, but be- because of that, I think wealth continues to accelerate and standard of living cont- continues to accelerate, and we as human beings spend more and more of our time in discretionary time mode, in which case – I'm okay with that too, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that, that both of those are, are, are d- relatively decent futures. I don't see the, oh my God, we're, there's going to be no jobs and people are going to be on the streets because there's nothing to do. Well, you know, in the spirit of the show being the soul of enterprise where we just don't have a materialist view of the world, I have to agree with Rabbi Daniel Lappin on this. Work equals worship. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's your furtherance of uh, the work of the creator, right? I mean, we'll always do find a way to serve our fellow humans. Mm-hmm. We will. I have we'll, ultimate faith in that. Yep. We'll, we'll do something. We will do, do something. And, and again, even if that's, that's discretionary based, I think we're fine with that. Right. I'll try and find that. Uh, Rabbi Lappin writes a weekly thing called Thought Tools, and I'll try and uh, find the one he wrote on the rise of the machines, you know, taking over all the jobs. And he just really poo-poos it. Um, right. But it was it was really interesting to talk to Daniel about that and the fact that he didn't like the Brexit vote. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> he, he didn't think that was good. So we had, a, we had an interesting conversation about that. But, folks, Ed, we're up against our first break, and I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at Ask. TSOE at Verisage.com. We will post full show notes at the soul of enterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Is your website just a brochure? Or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're back on the soul of enterprise. Well, Ron, we we went through an entire segment and haven't really talked about our topic at all. So <laughs> that's all right, though. It's good to catch up on the Sage Summit. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, and it was was a fantastic show. So what we're going to talk about is is excerpted from the book Money, Greed, and God: Why Capitalism Is the Solution and Not the Problem. And this is by Jay Richard, who is, I guess, a scholar with the Acton Institute. I, I know that he's bounced around and c- done a couple of different things, but I, I, I know for sure that he's still with the, with the folks at, at Acton. And we did a show a number of weeks ago about a, a, a game that you and I pl- play uh, called The Trading Game, which, again, was an idea inspired by this book. And one of the outcomes of that game is talking about these eight myths, and that's really the, the really the book is structured around the eight myths. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out the eight myths in brief, Ron, and then we'll go back and talk about each one of them in turn. How's that sound? Sounds perfect. Okay, so here here are the eight eight myths. The Nirvana myth, which is contrasting capitalism with an unrealized ideal rather than live with its alternatives. And then number two, the piety myth, focusing on our good intentions rather than on the unintended consequences of our actions. Number three, something that you and I talk an awful lot about on other shows, so we probably give this one relatively short shrift this time, and that is the zero-sum game myth, believing that trade requires a winner and a loser. Number four, the materialist myth, believing that wealth isn't created, simply transferred. Number five, the greed myth, believing that the essence of capitalism is greed. Number six, the usury myth, believing that working with money is inherently immoral or that charging interest on money is always expletive. Exploitive, I'm sorry, not expletive, exploitive. Uh, number seven, the artsy myth confusing the aesthetic judgments with economic arguments. And lastly, number eight, the freeze frame myth, believing that things will always stay the same. So treating a current or natural resource as if it will always be needed as such. So let's jump in. Let's talk about this first one, this nirvana myth, contrasting capitalism with an unrealized ideal rather than live with its live alternatives. I shouldn't say live, live alternatives. This one, Ron, this is this is happens all of the time, right? This is this idea that, well, if we just did this, all of the all of our problems would go away as if and this is something you and I both talk about a lot as if there are actually f- solutions to these complex economic problems that if you just pulled the right leverage, everything would be okay. Yep. We'd hit utopia, which really is a word that means nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think this is so common, Ed, and it's common when you talk about whether you're talking about social systems, how to organize a society, or even just in business. Right mm-hmm. when we suggest getting rid of the timesheet, or or you suggest putting in a row, or getting rid of performance appraisals, well, what are you going to replace it with? What about this? What about that? And it's like they're hold they're holding it to such a high, perfect standard, and and the retort is, well, what are you doing now? Right. <laughs> what what you're doing now is is horrific, and it's not at all 
what you're trying to achieve, and yet we come along with this better idea, or other people do, whoever, and you hold it to an impossible standard. Mm-hmm. And so you can maintain the status quo. I see this everywhere. Yep. And this is the, the, the quote from one of the Federalist papers. I think it's Federalist 41 or 31. You know, if, if, if uh, men were people. angels, right, there would yes. be no need for government. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. The founders had it. Right. <laughs> they had it right. right. And it is. It's such a common problem. And, and it's so true when you start talking about, if you go back and read the arguments for communism, especially on the, you know, from the intellectuals or the people that traveled there, you know, the so-called useful idiots, uh, they, they would just, they have this utopian standard. And not only, not only was it comparing, you know, a, a fiction a fantasy to reality, but Ed, it also let them off the hook for atrocities. Yep. Yep. Cause it was the end in mind, right? Yeah. And so if you go back to this utilitarian versus Kantian argument for say capitalism, yeah, we all know nobody's arguing that capitalism's perfect. Nobody makes that. I don't know of anybody who makes that argument. Mm-hmm. You know, Friedman never made that argument. Gilder doesn't make that argument. Nobody does. But what they say is, it, it results in a better outcome. But you know what? It's not just a utilitarian argument. There is a moral argument in there as well. Uh, it's the right thing to do because mm-hmm. it allows humans to live under freedom and allows them to flourish, right? The pursuit of happiness, if you will. Correct. Correct. Which is then where this begins to blur with the second myth, which is the piety myth which is focusing on our good intentions rather than on the unintended consequences of our actions. And boy, this, again, all of these really ubiquitous, right? Because this, this notion that, well, but we, we, our intent was to help. So that's all that really matters. Doesn't, doesn't matter that. And, you know, we, we clearly see this, I think with, with, uh, with minimum wage laws, Right. Yep. I, I have absolutely no doubt. I mean, I really have no doubt that the folks who propose and want to have minimum wage laws in place have the best of intentions. I, I really do think that they want to improve the condition of others, of their of their fellow man. And they think that this is this will work. But yet. There, and I think as as uh, was it Walter Williams says, you know, the minimum wage doesn't even pass the sniff test, right? <laughs> right? You yeah. know, because it's just it, it, you, it's so easily dismissed. We can just say, well, okay, by that logic, all we need to do to to uh, get Haiti out of poverty is increase the minimum wage in Haiti. Done. Yep, absolutely. Bring it to thirty bucks an hour or a hundred bucks an hour, and yep, you're there. So, and uh, again, focusing on the intentions. And look, I, I've got no problem. The intentions are are good. That's, the, but you 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 do have to look at the outcomes, and you you can't just then dismiss it with, well, I you know our intentions were good, so therefore we're okay. There is an element of symbolism over substance in this. I mean, you know, because we can all look good and and feel compassionate and look compassionate by wearing ribbons on our clothing for different causes or whatever. The question is, are good intentions enough? I mean, that old saw that, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions is so true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just think that it's, uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things that, you know, yeah, you can have all the great intentions you want, but it's kind of gutless at the end of the day. 
doesn't really produce anything to, to sit around and say, we care, or I, feel, <laughs> or I feel your pain. Well, and then that brings up, of course, the, the difference, and you were using the word that I prefer, which is compassion, but the word that is often used, of course, is empathy, right? right. Yes, and and how I, we and this is our, our friend Stephen Howard talk talk a lot about this is that you know compassion is the ancient word which which means that you know uh, the understanding of suffering, right? right. Whereas this this empathy uh, it re- really means, and though people don't use it this way, but it really means with the Bill Clinton line, right? I feel your pain, your pain. right? <laughs> yeah, and. The, that I feel your pain is not good. I mean, that that's not healthy for you because now if you felt someone else's pain and there's a situation that requires rationality and the ability to rise above that pain and suffering, well, you in that person's feeling that person's pain doesn't help. It just re- results in two people in pain. Right. What's the line, Ed? And I don't know if you say it or Peter Block says it, but when you professionalize When you professionalize care, care. it ceases to become care. Right, right. Yep. And I think that's very true. I mean, I think that, that when you uh, – I also see this as that whole, the whole trusted advisor saw. When you professionalize trust, it ceases to become trust. Trust, oh. yeah. Yeah, just like when you talk about trust, you damage it. You know, I think there's another level below this piety one, uh, and it's something that it was expressed by Norman Bodhoritz, who was a fantastic writer. You could say he was really the first, one of the first neocons. You know, he was a FDR Democrat who kind of got fed up with the, the war on welfare and the war on poverty and all that. But he was asked, if there was one thing that you could get across to the, you know, to the public, uh, what would it be? And he said something, Ed, and I'm going to botch it. I don't have it in front of me. But he said, I, I would want to disabuse the notion that the government can cause no harm. Mm. You know, when we pound our fists and go, the government should do something about this or that or whatever. Whoa, whoa, time out. You got to realize government can do incredible harm by intervening, sometimes worse than just letting the status quo you know, exists. I mean, Milton Friedman used to say, don't do, don't just do something, stand there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I, that's always stuck with me because I, I, I think he's right. I mean, I, this idea that the government, judging the government by how many laws it passes, right. Mm -hmm. It is, is kind of in this same thing in my mind. It's all about intentions, but yeah, but what about the unintended consequences and harm that this Mm -hmm. causes? Right, 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 and and uh, you know, which leads then, of course, to this the the third myth, and we'll deal with this one really quickly before the break because we've dealt with it on so many other shows, and that is the zero sum game myth, right? That that there, that in in trade, there's a winner and a loser. This is you know Donald Trump. We're getting we're getting killed on trade. Yep, we're right, getting killed on trade. trade. Yep. We're getting killed on trade. I got I got news for you, Donald. How about instead of if you think you're getting killed, just don't trade. Just don't don't trade at all. And there's no requirement that you trade. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and and I think that 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 in addition to just just the observed behavior, and we've talked about this a ton, the double thank you moment, right? When I yeah. buy the the cup, when I buy the cup of coffee, I say thank you, and the barista says thank you back. 
just putting a nail in the coffin of this notion that trades trade is a zero sum game because mm-hmm. I just benefited more. I mean, it's just simple, simple and easy to understand. And Ed, just one more thing, because I thought this was beautiful. I heard Arthur Laffer talking about trade and Donald Trump's approach to it. And he said, listen, he said, you know, if if, if a country cheats like China, how, however they cheat, he said, the dumbest thing you can do is throw up trade barriers or erect tariffs against them. He said it would be the equivalent of a burglar robbing your home and then in punishment you go rob theirs. <laughs> No, there you go. You, you punish them, right? You, right. So, yeah, it, it's it's really true. I mean, this all the analogies we use in business of politics or especially sports, those are both zero sum games. Business yep. isn't a zero sum game at all. Nope, nope, not at all. Trade trade is not a zero sum game. However, we're up against a break here, Ron. But we want to remind everyone that you can get show notes at thesoulofenterprise dot com, including access to all of our show archives. Which, if you go to thesoulofenterprise dot com across the top, you'll see show archive and listen to any of the 100 plus episodes that we've done with the folks here at Voice America and we thank them for that but we also want to thank and our sponsor for this segment Quanta CRM The business community's first choice in internet talk radio Voice America Business Network We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing the eight myths of capitalism from Jay Richards' book. Money, Greed, and God, Why Capitalism is the Solution and Not the Problem. And uh, Ed, I think he also produced the Call of the Entrepreneur movie and might have directed it too. I can't remember. Yeah, I think you're correct. I think he, is, he was one of the main, main directors of that. Interesting right. guy. Really, really interesting guy. 
you know, when I when I watched uh, that movie for when they were doing the previews around the country, I went to New York and afterwards they had the panel with Father Robert Sirico, Jay Richards, and mm-hmm. George Gilder. <laughs> and yeah, it was like, wow. how could you miss this? You know, but right. uh, well, Ed, the fourth myth, and this is probably one of my favorite because this is prevalent all over the place as well, is a materialist materialist fallacy. And boy, mm-hmm. is this, uh, the, boy, th- th- this manifests itself in so many different ways. We need manufacturing jobs that produce cars and steel and, you know, things that you can drop on your foot and hurt yourself with. And it's ridiculous. And it's been ridiculous ever since Adam Smith destroyed it back in mm-hmm. 1776. I mean, his book was written, The Wealth of Nations, to refute the mercantilist view which also mm-hmm. included the materialists, the idea that we're going to hold hoard gold <laughs> or silver, right? right. Uh, and, yeah. and, you know, that exports are good and imports are bad and all of that. It's just ridiculous. But, boy, this has got the longest staying power. It sure does. I mean, it, it just continues to, to, to manifest itself in so many different ways, even among people who are so-called capitalists. That's the probably the, one of the more interesting ones about this one. Who, who who think that it's it's only about the material things that we produce that uh, that are that are valuable and the the couple of examples that I use in this but one of them is the you know there was a planet discovered I don't know five or six years ago that we believe is is uh, the size of the Earth but the mass of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And it goes around a neutron star, which is an extremely dense star. Well, and the, from the signature of this planet, what we're able to to deduce is that it's also made out of out of ninety plus percent carbon, mm. right? Which <laughs> right. means which means it's a big freaking diamond. Diamond. That's, <laughs> that's what it means, <laughs> right? And I joke as so, you know, what what if this this uh, this star were to go supernova? And the, 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 this, this wonderful, big, huge, Earth-sized diamond were to come hurling at us and, and you know, crash, crash into the Earth, would we suddenly now be wealthy because we have all of these diamonds? Yep. Right? And the answer is, of course, of no, because we'd all be dead. But, <laughs> but, but, but we got but, all but this great physical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, we, but, we got, but we got all these unlimited diamonds now for everyone. Right? <laughs> The, the other thing, you know, I've been fascinated since college with the old USSR, the Soviet Union, and, and just communism and living under it. Now I'm kind of, that fascination's been transferred to Cuba, uh, but also North Korea, because these are pure, I mean, if you don't like capitalism, you got to study North Korea, because they've completely banished it, although they haven't, because there's there's markets that exist in that country that the only reason that people aren't starving to death but Ed, in these in the old USSR, you can go back and you can read the things and even look at the propaganda about the five year plan. It, it's all materialist. We're going to have so many you know ounces of grain and and meet our quotas here and there. And they talk about capitalism being greedy and just worried about possessions and accumulation and and all of that. And then you go and you study supposedly the opposite system, and you realize they're more materialist than we've ever dreamed of being. Yeah, because it's all it's all about the stuff, right? We got to <laughs> produce the stuff. 
you got to be an ideal worker who, you know, beats your quota every day and they have charts on the walls and factories and wow. I mean, we just, you know, (laughs) this country affords you or this system affords you more time to, you know, read the Bible or watch PBS or, you know, enjoy the arts or whatever. You don't get a whole heck of a lot of that, at least through the official propaganda and the news. It's, you're just bombarded with materialist statistics on rice production and grain production and steel production under Stalin. I mean, it just, that's always amazed me. Right. The, the idealist social, what is it? The socialist man, right? Yep. 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 Yeah. Which ties back to Nirvana, but, but materialist and, and this, the next one greed are really very much related as well. Right. Because this, this, you just mentioned it, the idea that the, the accumulation of the stuff becomes greedy. And uh, look, I, I, I think there, there is greed as Thomas Sowell said, you know, greed is a constant, right? It blaming, Market failure on greed is what is it like blaming airline crashes on gravity? Right. It's it, 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 it's a it is right. Yeah, we know why the airline crashed. Gravity. Yep, it was gravity. Yep. That's why it happened. You know, um, and, and and I don't necessarily think that you know greed increases or decreases in aggregate. I, I suppose it could, but I think I think the the misno- misnomer here is, is that that self interest equals greed. Yes. Right. And I think that's the that's the miss is that, look, we do stuff in our self-interest. Both you and I are breathing right now. That's in our self-interest. Yep. It's, it's not greedy. Well, I suppose it would be greedy if, if we were fighting for the last breath of oxygen. But, you know, that, it, that, that, that there is a there is a difference. And I, and I think that 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 we have to, to break away from this notion that. Just because you're acting in your own self-interest may, is is equivalent to being greedy. It's not. Or I, I love the word. I, th- I think Father Sirico used it when he was on the show. Avarice. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Which which is extreme attention to material gain, and I I like that that better because I think you know you know greed greed has has become in, inflated or conflated I should say with self-interest. And, and you know, Ed, just like you get upset with when people attribute uh, what you can measure, you can manage to Peter Drucker, who we know never said this, this greed thing is almost always attributable to Adam Smith and especially yep. his invisible hand. And it drives me crazy. In fact, to be honest with you, it's the reason I teach ethics because I took my first ethics course as a CPA. Uh, the, the, the academic instructor stood up there and said, oh, well, this psychological egoism and this ethical egoism of Adam Smith and the invisible hand and greed. And I went ballistic and I actually raised my hand and said, have you ever read Adam Smith? Can you show me where he ever says greed is good? In fact, mm-hmm. he says quite the opposite. And in mm-hmm. fact, the only place I can find greed is good, besides the Wall Street movie, is <laughs> is in the work is in the work of a guy named Bernard Mandeville, who wrote a real interesting work, by the way, called "The Fable of the Bees," where he said private vices are public benefits. But Adam Smith, in the theory of uh, moral sentiments, his first book, disagreed with Mandeville, calls him out, and he said this this thesis is wholly pernicious and erroneous. He, he said it would be the dagger in the heart of family life and marriage and friendship and brotherhood to walk around being greedy. None of us are attracted to greedy people. 
mm-hmm. and and he just didn't believe this, and to, to have it constantly uh, attributed to him just drives me batty. Yeah, 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 and you know it's it's interesting because this this came up this past couple or a couple of weekends ago actually uh, as at, at church it was one of my my favorite readings is from the Gospel of Luke with the the parable of the rich fool. Mm. And just to to recall, this is this is the the guy who has a, a has a fantastic harvest, right? And what he he says, okay, he let get knock down all of the barns and let's rebuild them only bigger, right? <laughs> right? So because so that we can store all this. And the parable is that that to to say, well, the, the, needless to say, this man did not realize that his life would be uh, required of him that night. Right. Mm. So what what good is it? Right. Now, what's interesting is that r- right before that and, you know, usually then the sermon goes on to be, a, you know, about greed <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and avarice. <laughs> but right before that, though, and I, I always I can I, this is one of the few scripture passages that I can cite chapter and verse because it's it's easy to remember because it's Luke chapter 12 verses 13 and 14. So just just remember Luke twelve thirteen fourteen, right? And it's a very short thing where a a a, a man comes up to Jesus and says, "Lord, um, make my brother split the inheritance mm-hmm. among among us." And Jesus replies, "Man, who am I, right to <laughs> to, to to make this decision?" Right, right as to what what is a just inheritance, and what I love about that is that it's a it it just it just nails this, you know. Yes, should should we take care of the poor and indigent? As yes, absolutely. Is is it something that needs to be required? Should government requirement? No, right. and it can't. Right, right? back to coercion. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. It, it becomes it becomes coercion. So two, two more points on this, Ed, because this is really fascinating. Adam Smith, and I think in the theory of moral sentiments, gave a thought experiment, which I've updated, and I've asked this to, to hundreds uh, of people in ethics courses. If you could cut off your little pinky, go back on nine ten, and cut off your little pinky to avoid the events of nine eleven, would you? Now, when I ask that question, an overwhelming majority of people raise their hand, yes, that they would do that. And doesn't that, now I, I realize that's answering a question and it's much easier than if I had a saw right there to lop off your pinky and, you know, mm-hmm. this is an unrealistic thought experiment. But it does show that our natural inclinations are not selfish, are not complete, you know, uncaring for other people. And the other thing is, George Gilder talked about this in Wealth and Poverty, where he talked about Ayn Rand, you know, saying that uh, capitalism was based on greed. He talked about uh, the false attribution to Adam Smith, you know, the invisible hand being greedy. He talked about Joseph Schumpeter, uh, who's saying, you know, capitalism's going to wither away and be take over by a socialist democratic state with large institutions. And Gilder's point was, with friends like this, capitalism doesn't need enemies. <laughs> these the, these are the best defenses that its friends can muster, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why he came up with his altruism angle. I think, and and I think it's a much better moral argument uh, for oh, the benefit. Clearly. 
So Literally. I just wanted to make that point because I think uh, this whole greed thing just drives me crazy as well. So, but uh, Ed, as usual, this is just flying by. I knew it would be, but we're up against our uh, last break here. And folks, we'd love to remind you, we know a lot of you listen on demand. So if you could uh, give us a uh, review on iTunes, that would be wonderful. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit BelieveInYourNumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise. We have cut three more myths to deal with, Ron, in a, in a relatively short period of time. So let's just jump right in and, and do it. Number six is the usury myth, believing that working with money is inherently immoral or that charging interest on money is always exploitative. Uh, exploitive. Right. And, uh, you, you know, it, 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 we were talking during the, the, the break is that, yeah, this is an example of where the, the Catholic Church even has reversed its position on it at one point. Uh, there was a prohibition against the charging of interest, but then more recently there there's been been changes say no 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 they, we un- we understand that basically you're that you're you're buying credit right it's the price the the the, pr- the price of credit of getting money ahead of time uh when it could be used for something else and that that that's acceptable now usury still i think exists in excessive interest rates right with loan sharks that that let's say uh, might be be an example of it, but you know, under that is who's to say what's ex- ex- excessive, right? <laughs> now, I think the lo- loan sharking is a problem, not so much for the high rates, so much for the well. If you don't pay, we like kill you. <laughs> right, right, yeah. There's no debtor's prison. It's <laughs> yeah. That, that's that that becomes that becomes the the, the problem there. But I, I do think that people do have an aversion to dealing with money, which is. Which is a little bit odd, I think, and I think it's also from a misquoting of scripture. Oftentimes, people will say to me, 
I, I've had I've had people say to me, well, you know, my my mom used to say that that money was the root of all evil, and I said, well, your mom's misquoting scripture because it's love of money is the root of all evil, and it's really a prohibition against something we talked about earlier, which is the materialist fallacy, because in biblical times, money was equated with material, right, gold, yep, right, Absolutely. and it's it, and it's putting putting things before people, right, but. So, so money is money is just what do you call it? Certificates of de, of deposit for the good that you've done for others. I mean, I think that that's a great way of thinking about money. Yeah, yeah, it's applause from your yeah. from people you've served. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I, I have money in my bank account because hopefully I've done a good job for Sage these past fourteen years. That's, Absolutely. <laughs> and and you know, Ed, I guess it's so easy to hate banks, right? Feel the burn, right? We got to break up the oh, banks yeah. and hate Wall Street, even though 50, over fifty percent of Americans are invested, you know, in the stock market through their retirement plans or whatever. Um, but you know, interest is uh, a price that matches savers with investors or consumers, right? Because, like you said, we have different time preferences of money, and mm-hmm. if you believe that value is subjective, well, then so is interest. You know, I might be willing to pay what California, which, by the way, their usury rate is in the Constitution. Um, I might be willing to pay a higher rate if if something is, you know, if I want something immediately. So shouldn't I be free to choose to do that? But because this is a business show, I just wanted to point out one thing about this. You know, the conventional wisdom that Henry Ford was clobbered by General Motors because, hell, you can buy any Model T you want as long as it's black. And it's thought <laughs> yeah. that, you know, it's thought that G- G- General Motors, because they offer different colors and different annual options, really, really uh, lopped off uh, Henry Ford's market share. But that wasn't, that's not why. The reason that General Motors kicked uh, Henry Ford's butt between 1919 and 1930 until he came out with the Model T, which I think kind of brought him back, or Model A brought him back a little bit, was in 1919, General Motors formed GMAC. And they actually started granting credit and making it easier uh, for folks to purchase cars. Ford was a Victorian, didn't didn't like debt, didn't think you should go into debt, especially to buy consumer items, including his vehicles. He didn't right. start Ford Motor Credit until 1929, giving GMAC 10 years to clobber him. And that's mm. what did it more than anything. Interesting that, that then uh, GMAC then became Ally Bank. Which was part of the bailout process. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely, and, and of course, GE just got rid of their financial sector so they wouldn't be tagged by the government as too big to fail and subject to all those regulations. You know, the stress test and Dodd Frank. They said, "Forget this, we're exiting," and they did. Yep. Yep. Well, the, the next myth, Ron, is the artsy myth, and this is this is probably one of the more confounding ones, or maybe the more difficult to understand. But it's it's just making aesthetic judgments on what is the result of what of capitalism and trade, and that is and that is saying, well, you know, I don't I don't like the fact that we have uh, Pokemon and right. <laughs> Hello Kitty. Right, right, <laughs> yep. And and look at look at look at this crass consumerism that is is the result of of, of, of this system, and it, you know to me, and I've I've had this argument with people. It's like, well, that's just your aesthetic judgment. Who who who's to say that some that somebody can't genuinely like Hello Kitty <laughs> or right. Pokemon or whatever? 
why do why do you get to decide? And it always comes down to that. And people are like, well, no, 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 no. It's not just me. There are others. <laughs> like, okay, who are they? Experts. Oh, oh, yeah. That that's the <laughs> that's a trigger word, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you if you want to see a country, and again, so I'm fascinated by it without any advertisements in public. Um, look at North Korea. You'll see a lot of pictures and statues of the dear leader and a lot of propaganda about, you know, Americans and Japanese and all of that. But you won't see any, you know, Pokemon ads or, or Hello Kitty. Uh, you'll see people walking around with those types of backpacks, <laughs> but you won't see the advertisements. And I just think you'll be looking at a very sterile uh, environment. I, I just, yeah, I, I this kind of is that bumper sticker, you know, people before profit and that type of thing. There's a lot of hypocrisy with this with this artsy stuff, right? Right, and it, 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 again, it, it all comes down to you know your personal preference, uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I, and, it, and people refuse to think that it's actually their personal preference. It, it reminds me of actors who glorify Castro. You know, go down there and have dinner with them, or even Michael Moore. You know, just hates capitalism, but while waxing rich off of it. And there's a level of hypocrisy. Not that that's the worst vice in the world, but my favorite example of this head is Gorbachev, who was a you know avowed communist, sold the license to the stain on his forehead. Remember that to a mm-hmm. vodka brand. Nah. And I thought, how cool is that? That now a communist owns intellectual property. Nah. <laughs> well, we're down to like two minutes, Ron. So the last one we'll deal with is the freeze frame myth. But and this is believing that things will always stay the same. So, for example, that population trends will incre- will increase indefinitely, or treating some current natural resource as if it will always be needed. Whale oil, and <laughs> <laughs> there's your hint for for what yeah. <laughs> right is is that we'll just we, you know we've reached peak whatever peak oil peak this peak that peak, peak horse manure right remember. Yeah. New York, if, if things continue, we're going to have 30 feet of horse manure on the streets. That's right. That's right. And th- this is clearly changing. I, I have seen some some studies which indicate that we've actually already passed peak farmland. And oh, we're please. reversing – we're reversing – no, we're reversing course on that. And that's a good thing, right? Oh, oh sure, sure. The planet sure. Yeah, is yeah. actually getting greener because we no longer need all the uh, farmland. Uh, farmland, absolutely. We're growing more food with less land. That's been happening for – since the Green Revolution, right? Herbert Simon, you know, said this great. He said things will continue until they can't. And and I guess this goes back to Rabbi, Rabbi Lappin's idea that we're not pictures. We're videos, right? Because we're constantly learning. And we're changing natural resources and the way we do things and getting better. And that's what all these static, uh, you know, extrapolations tend to miss. So, Ed, this has been great. It's a fascinating book, folks. We'll post full show notes on this, Money, Greed, and God by Jay Richards. And, Ed, what's on store for next week? We have the imitable and just fantastically funny and genius economist, Steve Landsberg next week. Wow. And a great writer. Wow. That's yes. going to be a tough show because there's so much I want to ask him, but I, yes. I look forward to it. I'll see you in 167 hours.
This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage. Energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, where we'll have Stephen Landsberg, the great economist who taught me practically everything I know about price theory. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com, where we'll post full show notes on today's show, The Eight Myths of Capitalism. Also, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. 